Hi, my name is Tyler Mahero and Alex. Hi, um, thanks for having me, Eric. Thanks for asking me to speak. Jordan, thank you for showing up, dude. I'm somewhat short notice. I appreciate it. <laughs> Did a great job, dude. Did a great job. It reminds like I used to be um I used to be a DJ in my college days. I remember like walking into the club and setting up sometimes and like you walk in and the dude that's on the decks before you is completely bombing like you were those first two minutes and it's like fuck yeah dude because now it's gonna make the whole job a whole lot easier <laughs> you know and then all of a sudden he catches fire and you want to go over to him and be like hey can you fucking go back to playing that slow shit you were playing like 20 minutes ago save some energy for me you know you did a great job appreciate it man um <laughs> yeah so um i have a sobriety day of 6 15 2020 i have a sponsor who knows he's my sponsor i have a home group um I, I attend as many HA meetings as I can. It's awesome to see this many people here tonight. This is fucking awesome. Um, I guess I'll start kind of like somewhere in the middle. Like I, I, the first time I went to rehab was in 2013, right? I was in a place in, uh, in Connecticut. That's where I'm from in Connecticut. Uh, it was a cash pay program called High Watch up in Northern Connecticut. So um, like they, they didn't accept any insurances. And like the beautiful thing about that was the fact that like they could, I don't know if anybody in here like is familiar with how treatment works, but like they could structure the groups how they wanted to structure their groups because they had no insurance companies to answer to, you know what I mean? So it was straight up just an AA program. Like there's, there was a building there that they had claimed that Bill wrote part of the big book in this little attic office type thing. And it was just big book studies, reading sober living books, meetings, you know, four step workshops, all types of shit like that. The whole entire time I was there for 28 days. Um, I learned absolutely nothing. You know, I learned a lot, but I utilized absolutely none of it. You know, I was told to get a sponsor, told to work the steps and, you know, read that book like my life depended on it. Um, just like I'm sure a lot of you people in this room have heard before. But the fact of the matter is I did absolutely nothing with it. The only book that I really read while I was there was a book by another fellow addict. His name was Chris Heron. He was a Boston Celtic. And um, really like, like kind of like what I learned there, you know, through reading that book was that like, so his story goes something like this. He grew up, he's a white kid that grew up in Fall River, Massachusetts, you know, as a young kid, he had posters of Boston Celtics plastered on his wall, right? Um, always dreamed of playing in, you know, the Fleet Center and playing for the Boston Celtics. That was like his lifelong dream since he was like seven, eight years old, since the first time he started playing basketball. Um, you know, he went to college, he was like six one, you know, nobody thought he was going to make the NBA and whatnot and everything else. You know, he ended up getting thrown out of college at one point for drug usage, getting back in opportunity after opportunity and built his way up and actually got drafted into the NBA. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't drafted to the Celtics, but there was a time in his career where he got, he got to play for the Celtics, got traded to the Celtics and actually got to play his life dream out. You know, right in front of him, he had his life dream going for him. And he tells a story in his book that it was a Friday night game, spotlight game on ESPN. And he's in the layup lines, getting ready to play this game on national television in the, in the dream arena that he's been dreaming about since he was eight years old. And he had to literally run out into the parking lot in his fucking warmups, in his, warm in his jersey in his warmups to go meet his Oxycontin dealer because that's how strong his addiction was. And what that, what I really gathered from that was that like this addiction thing, this, you know, especially when we deal with heroin, it's fucking powerful, dude. It's powerful. And it will literally break our hopes and dreams, you know, no matter how big they are, like it will destroy our hopes and dreams. It will destroy my hopes and dreams, you know, um, that's, that's just how powerful this thing is. And, and in reality, like the only solution to that is a spiritual solution, because I don't have the power that that addiction is stronger than me. I'll get back to that in a moment. But like, there's another thing that, that um, I, I kind of got into Chris Heron when I got sober this time around, because I, I was just very intrigued by his story. And there's another part 
he does a TED talk where he says he's got a quote in it. He talks about how 90% of addictions in America start in the teenage years. And that almost every first page of an addiction story in America starts with the red solo cup in the blunt, you know, and that's really like, to me, that's almost 50% accurate because my addiction, you know, the first time I ever drank was 12 years old on the millennium, the, the year 2000 was changing. You know what I mean? I hit a Southern comfort bottle threw my, threw up my brains out, you know, and everything else. And I really didn't get into it, but like getting into high school, like the red solo cup in the blunt, that was, that was what my high school was about. You know what I mean? I went to a school with like 2,600 kids in the school um, and we'd use any reason that we could find to party. Like it didn't matter what it was. If like midterms were going on and somebody's parents weren't gonna be home and we got out of school at noon, we were going and getting a couple of kegs and throwing a party in, in somebody's backyard or like Tuesday night if the lacrosse team won, you know, we're going to the woods with six or seven kegs and 150 people and we're banging out and we're, having, we're gonna be all hung over at 7.30 in the morning next day in high school, but it didn't matter. You know, like that, that whole red solo cup and the blunt thing was the beginning of where it started. But the thing is, that doesn't make me an addict because there was plenty of those kids that showed up to those parties that didn't end up where I am right now. You know what I mean? Like some of those kids have fucking, you know, mid six figure jobs and, and three kids in a house. You know, they, they, they didn't take the road that I took, you know, so that doesn't make me an addict. You know, it's just pretty, pretty obvious that that doesn't make me an addict. Um, fast forwarding a little more, I got, I got into college. Um, you know, and like a lot of kids at my college were doing pills, they were doing Oxycontin and things like that. And I really never got down with, you know, the pill thing. I drink and I'd smoke my weed and everything else, but I really never got down with it. My first friend died when I was 16 years old of an Oxycontin overdose. My older brother was robbing my, my family business back home blind because if he had an Oxycontin habit, I saw him when I was like 17, 18 years old. I saw him in a hospital bed. He was 10 years old. I mean, I saw him in a hospital bed, just, you know, withdrawing, shaking, looking at me be like, don't ever fuck with these things, dude. Don't ever fuck with them. And all the kids that I knew that were doing them were just liars, thieves and, and, and cheats and fucking just, you know, stealing everything. Those are the types of kids that like when you had a party at your house, you got to worry about watching them because they go upstairs in your, your room and steal the shit that's in your room and stuff like that. So I hated all those kids and I hated the whole entire Oxycontin scene that was going on in my college. Um, like a, maybe a few months before graduation, I'd gone out with a few friends. We were partying. Um, we got into a bar fight. You know, I, I, I broke this hand here and got prescribed Vicodin ESs. And that was the first time that I ever took a pill was from a doctor. I remember taking that first pill and it was like, this is, this is why, dude. This is why people do this stuff. You know, this feeling that I get from this little fucking white pill, this big little, whatever it is, you know, there's something inside of this thing that, that makes me feel a way that I've never felt before. And uh, immediately it was off to the races from there. You know, it went from Vicodins to Perks to 30s to 80s to fentanyl patches to heroin within like a two year period, just like that. The escalation was just ripping. You know, there was nothing out there that could, that could make me feel like that. And the more I got into it, the more levels of, you know, of, you know, taking it from, up, up through the milligram scale and then through different medications and then to finally to heroin, there was, there was nothing that could match that. Weed and alcohol could not do it for me anymore. Um, I graduated college. I, I got myself into a pretty decent career. I wasn't even a finance major, but I got into finance and started doing the finance thing for a few years there and uh, lost that job because I couldn't fucking, I couldn't stop doing dope, you know. Um, from there, I went to technology sales because, you know, that was, that was a good moneymaker and uh, lost that job because I was doing dope. 
And there it was like, now I realize that I have a problem because this is starting to fuck with my life. You know, like I can't, I can't stop doing this on my own. So maybe like, maybe, you know, these, these people have been telling me for years that I need to go to rehab. So I go to rehab again. Uh, the second time I'm in rehab, it's out here in California, another solid 12 step program. They're telling me to get a sponsor and work the steps. And this is how you do it. Find a spiritual, you know, find a spiritual existence. And maybe you'll have a shot at this thing. Wouldn't listen again. Like I'm smart enough. I could figure this thing out. I need 30 days out here and I can go back home and reset my life. And I'm going to be straight. That just really, 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 you know, is, is not, is not what works for me. Um, God bless you if it does. But like, you know, for me, like there's, there's, there's no success in that in that path. Like I got out of rehab within five days, I was smoking weed again. Within a week I was shooting heroin again, um, you know, with full intentions and full, like swearing on everything that I'd never do that shit ever again. You know, while I'm in rehab, I'm swearing to myself that I'm never going to do this shit again. You know, I still have reservations about maybe smoking weed and drinking, but like, I'm never going to fucking shoot dope ever again. Within a week I was shooting dope again. You know, it didn't, my willpower doesn't mean shit. You know, when I get presented with that fucking drug in front of me, I'm going to fucking use. If I have the choice, I'm going to fucking use every single time. You know, life gets a whole lot worse after that. You know, now I've been to rehab twice. You know, I have a solid working knowledge of the book. I don't utilize it, but I have a solid working knowledge of what, what it is and what it takes and everything else. I have friends that have been sober for four or five years at this point. I have a lot of friends that are dying. You know, I've been to 30 something funerals. You know, before I came out here in June, I've, I've been to 30 something funerals. That doesn't scare me. I, one of my friends died right in front of my house. I found him dead in his truck. That didn't scare me. I went to the funeral high, shot up in the bathroom at the church. Like that's how powerless I am over this thing. You know, it doesn't fucking matter. It really does it. And I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate to some things like that, you know, in your, in your drug usage. It's, it's a powerful thing, you know. Um, this time around, like it was, it was pretty clear to me that I needed to try something different, you know, and, um, even then really, I wasn't really too keen on it, but I knew that I needed to try something different, but it was like, I, I, I know how hard it is to get sober and, you know, do it was, it was, I was literally left with the choice of, do I, you know, come out to California again and try this thing or do I just fucking die? You know, like. What's, what's, what's the effort going to take? I failed this program so many times before, uh, trying it for 10 or 12 years. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to do the things that it takes really what it came down to. I really didn't want to, I was, you know, I had, I had some things going on back at home where, you know, like I always had this safety net. My father owned a garbage company back at home. I always had the safety net of like all the jobs that I blew from the, from the finance job to the technology job. After that, I was managing restaurants in New York city you know, all six figure jobs, you know, doing great. And as soon as I would lose that job, all three of those jobs, I had lost to drug usage. As soon as I would lose that job, that safety net would catch me because dad always had a job for me. It was a pretty good high paying job too, you know, and it was, I mean, running a garbage company, but it didn't matter. It was bringing money in and it was, you know, and then, you know what I mean? With my parents being the enablers they were, it's like, you know, I could do whatever the fuck I want around here. You know, at one point I was stealing thousand dollars a week, sometimes even more from the business and they just couldn't fire me. You know, I had a house that I was living in that the company paid for. I had a vehicle that I was driving that the company paid for. My job was basically guaranteed no matter what the fuck I did, I could fuck up five times in one week and I wouldn't get fired. Like not so bad until the beginning of 2020. My father's 68 years old right now. He's got a drug problem himself. You know, I'll get to that in a minute, but like, you know, he's, he's 68 years old. He wants to retire and do his thing. Me and my three older brothers are supposed to be buying the business. 
all right, good plan. But my three older brothers have this disease as well. So like, you know, three or four months into it, nobody's paying them for the business. You know, we're all kind of looking at each other, like who's going to make the move here? Who's going to be the boss around here? Uh, not going to be me, but like, you know, someone needs to pony up because I blow my money this week, you know, like, you know, and dad's kind of getting sick of it. So dad gives me the, gives me really, I'm the young one, but I went to college. My other three older brothers didn't. So he kind of gives me the ultimatum. He's like, listen, January 1st of 2020, he's like, listen, you have six months to fucking figure this thing out or else I'm going to sell this business to someone that's actually going to pay me for it. And I'm going to go retire because you dudes aren't doing shit for me. I'm like, you know, in back of my mind, dad's never going to do that to us. You know what I'm saying? He built this business for 40 years to make us successful in life. You know, he used to tell me when I was four years old, I'm doing this because my father never left me nothing. You know, I'm doing this for you guys because this is my father never, you know what I mean? My father wasn't able to give me something and I want to leave something to you. Now you're going to tell me now I'm 33 years old and he's going to sell on him? Yeah, right. You know, so I called this bluff on it. On June 1st of this year, he walked into the office with a signed contract from another company. He was like, it's over, dude. I'm selling. It's it. Now, immediately with that, that 24 hour period was like just a fucking roller coaster ride because now I'm starting to realize, holy shit, the business is gone. So that, that safety net that always caught me is now not there anymore. Not only that, but the business is gone. So the house that I live in that the business pays for is gone. The vehicle that I'm driving that the business pays for is gone, you know? And now my girlfriend finds out about what's going on and she wants to fucking leave me. I was with the same girl for 10 years, you know? Very smart fucking girl. She's a fucking charge nurse at, at Yale University Hospital on the cardiac floor. She's getting her fucking nurse practitioner's degree right now. And it's like, she's like, you're a fucking idiot, dude. Like you, you've thrown your life away since I've been dating. You've thrown your life away on four different occasions now. Like, when are you, when is it going to end? You know? So she's, she's out, you know, she's done. Now I'm homeless without a girlfriend, jobless, vehicleless. I don't know what I'm going to do, you know? So I was presented with this opportunity come to California and get your life together. And like I said, I even, even, even at that point, I was like, you know what? Fuck this. You know what I mean? I'd rather fucking die because I know what it takes and I'm not, no, I'm not going to do it. So the company that bought my garbage company for my father had made me and my brothers all sign a, a non-compete clause so that we wouldn't go after the customers that we, uh, that, you know what I mean? That were being sold. And they gave us a $5,000 check to, for, to sign that agreement. You know, that was kind of like the, whatever you want to call it, the, um, uh, I don't even know the word for it, but whatever. They gave us a $5,000 check, each one of us to do that, to sign that agreement. We couldn't go after the customers for five years. That was like June 11th of this year. I took that $5,000 check. I went to Queens. I bought two ounces of fentanyl and an ounce of crack and went back into the apartment that was being taken from me, hold myself up in it, locked the door so nobody could come in. And it just started slamming and smoking because I was like, this is, this is how I'm going to go out. If I'm going out, I'm going out with a fucking bang, you know, like, and I full intentions on that. I was going to die, you know, and I was perfectly fine with that because the other options were just too fucking crazy to even entertain at that moment. Um, going through that for like three days, finally, somebody reached out to me, somebody reached out to me. And, uh, you know, asked me if I wanted help, told me that I had, told me that he had a way out. Um, I knew this person, you know, from years before. And he's telling me that he, he's, he's doing some positive things in California. He's got a program out there. And, you know, they just might be able to save my life if I become willing to, to try some things that I haven't tried before. And uh, I didn't believe him. I was like, there's no fucking way. I know this dude, <laughs> you know what I mean? I know this dude and there's, yeah, there's, there's gotta be something funny about this situation. 
Um, another friend of mine who had who he had helped out a year before had called me up and was like, no, this shit's real, dude. Like, you know, the place that he's got out there is a real place. You know, it's not some fucking flop pal shithole. Like, it's a real place and they might be able to do something for you. Um, even then, I was still skeptical and I'm like, I don't know, dude, but I'm running out of dope at this point. And I'm literally like the Amtrak that goes to New York City is running by my house. You know, it runs by every every half hour it runs by. And I'm sitting there in my room and I'm like looking at that two ounces dwindle down to about two grams, knowing that I don't have a lot much left. And like now I lived through that much, even if I shot all that at once, I might probably won't die because I did a couple shots that big, you know, it was just not working for me. So I started writing down the times of the trains that were going by, you know, and I was like, you know, if the, if the, if the drugs aren't going to kill me, like that fucking train will kill me for sure. And, uh, I, I even even narrowed it down to like the times that like my family wouldn't be outside working the business, you know, like in between when they go away and the neighbors come home so that no one was going to be able to stop me. And I was like, yeah, that like 5.45 p.m., that train that goes to New York City, that's that's going to be the one. Like I had it planned out to that point. And something inside of me was just like, you know, uh, call Matt back and tell him that I'm coming out there because that's the only other option right now. And uh, like there was something inside of me that really didn't want to fucking die. So I did call them up and was like, get me on a plane. You know, next day I'm on my way out to California, Orange County, all over again, just like they did three years ago. Um, I land at the airport, you know, this guy picked me up. The guy that led, did the 10 minute lead picked me up. Um, we get to talking, you know, and like he said, you know, he's, you could tell by the way his personality is, you know, he's just, he gets, he gets to the point in a really funny way. You know what I mean? But that's what I need in my life at that point. You know, I need someone to tell me exactly what the fuck to do. And he's like, are you ready? Are you ready to try something different? And I think I bold faced told him like, no. And he's like, well, do you want to fucking die? And like, I'm like, well, I could have died like the other day, but like, you know, I guess I don't, you know? So he tells me, you know, what he's been through, you know, um, you know, how this thing is working in his life. You know, then I meet a couple other guys in the, in, that are in this room right now that tell me, you know, their situation and how it's working in their life. And I start thinking to myself, it's like, you know, I've heard these stories from people for 10 or 15 years, you know, coming in and out of these rooms, I've heard these stories, but it was, there was something this time around where, you know, it, it started clicking for me that it was like, you know what, maybe this is possible because these dudes seem like they were pretty fucking bad off. I mean, you know, they were pretty bad off. Let's just be honest. And, you know, they got out of it, you know, and they're doing the fucking deal. So like, what do I got to lose? You know, like if it doesn't fucking work, I'll, I'll leave here when I'm done. When I graduate this program, I'll go back home and go back to my misery. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it's, they, they told me to be honest, open-minded and willing, you know? And um, I mean, there, there was other people in my life that were telling me that I need the willingness first, you know, and that'll bring the honesty and the open-mindedness. It didn't really matter what order it was going in because I needed those three things to happen. You know, I needed to start being honest with myself, start being honest with other people, being open minded to things that I was closed minded to before, such as getting a sponsor, working the steps and being willing to just trust this process. That's really what it came down to. That was the beginning of it for me. You know, it was like, OK, now I'm going I'm gonna, to I'm gonna make this decision while I'm here and we'll just see where it goes, kind of experimenting with the whole entire thing. I get out of detox. I get a sponsor. Um, Another kid from New York, fucking, you know, I'm, I'm from Southern Connecticut. He's from New York. So we kind of bonded on the whole area thing and, and whatnot. And he was another one that was just super fucking cut my bullshit. 
You know, I can bullshit the best bullshitter out there. I'm a fucking pro at it. You know what I mean? I'll sit here and look you in your eyes and be right in your back pocket. That's the way I bullshit. And uh, he was just like, hey, listen, dude, you ain't gonna fucking fool me. I've been around the block, you know? And so it was like, that's just, just, just like all this stuff started happening like this. And it was, you know, it was almost a perfect storm of things. Um, you know, so I was like, so what, what's the deal with this whole entire spirituality thing? You know, and he's like, just start praying, dude. Like, doesn't even fucking matter if you know what you're praying for. Just get into the rhythm of doing it and the act of doing it. And we'll figure it out from there type deal, you know? And uh, I did. So that night I started praying. I was praying for fucking money in my bank account. I was praying for a new girlfriend because my old girl, I was fucking lovesick and she left, you know? And I, you know, maybe a nice car would be nice because Orange County is a whole bunch of fucking $100,000 cars driving around. I'd like to fit in out here. New pair of jeans would be cool. Um, you know, I had no clue what I was praying for, but over just the, just the practice of doing that, you know what I mean? Over a month or two months, you know, I started getting how, how, how to get it done, um, you know? It's, uh, it's, it's amazing what can happen when you work these steps. It's amazing what can happen when you work these steps. For 10, 12 years, I thought they were complete bullshit and that everybody was lying to me. And I'm here to tell you that it's not a fucking lie. You know, from my experience over the past nine months, doing this the way it's laid out in the big book, there's really no other way that it's going to work for a junkie like me. Because I've tried it every other way, dude. I've tried the methadone, just like Jordan said. I've tried the methadone clinic. I've tried suboxone maintenance. I've tried marijuana maintenance. It just, you know, it all ends up bad. It all ends up bad for me. You know, without a spiritual solution and a spiritual fucking, you know, a spiritual life that I'm, I'm completely lost in this world. Without a power greater than myself, I'm completely lost in this world. Until I started hitting that, that's, that's where I started seeing progress. You know, along with other things, you know, there's, a, there's other work that needs to get done, you know, and the steps are laid out in a certain way, you know, to kind of make that work progressive, you know, so having a good sponsor and guiding you through the steps is, you know, extremely fucking essential to the whole entire process. But like, you know, you, you get to a point to where the whole entire process makes you become a better person, you know, and uh, not only that, but, you know, there's, there's things that happen, you know, in the programs that are out here, you know, I, I left the, I left the detox res that I was at for 28 days and was suggested that I go to another 90 day program. And at this point I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm buying into this process. So I'm like, you know what, maybe I need to start listening to other people. So it was suggested to me that I go to another 90 day program. I really didn't want to at first that's Matt. I really didn't want to, I had him fucking look up every other sober living, every other option out there to the point where like finally him and uh, you know, the owner of the place was like, listen, dude, just do it, dude. Like, you know, why, why are you going back on this whole entire, you know, you're, you, you've been wanting to take suggestions up to this point. Now, why you want to take your willpower back right there? And I was like, you know, maybe they're right. You know, and a couple outside factors happened and whatnot, with the whole entire COVID shutdown of the state and everything going on, it was like, I really got nothing else to lose. You know, and that's just God working in strange ways right there, because I was like, you know, I was ready to go to a sober living or an apartment on my own. But then Governor Newsom shut the state down. So it was like, even if I go to an apartment, I'm still going to be stuck indoors for quite a while. So I might as well go do that at a rehab, right? I mean, they're going to make fucking lunch and dinner for me every day. And, you know, my rent's going to be paid. I'm not going to have to worry about that. It'll be kind of nice. Cool. You know, that's just God working in strange ways right there. Um, I went there and I started learning things in their, in their behavioral health programs. I started actually paying attention to the groups, you know learning about, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and learning about, you know, my thoughts and feelings and emotions such as anger, depression, anxiety, where all that stuff comes from, you know, and, and also in doing my four step at that particular time, it was like a perfect storm of things going on, you know, doing my four step, making my fears list, you know, and seeing that 
this anxiety that I have, this depression that I, that I, that I thought I had, you know, this anger that I fucking can't control. 99% of the time, it comes from some sort of fear, you know, because those three things are secondary emotions, anger, anxiety, and depression. They're secondary emotions and they're caused by something else underlying that's going on down there. And like when that, that hit me in a group one day, I was like, holy shit. Like, I don't need drugs and alcohol to fucking heal these things. Drugs and alcohol don't heal these things. They were my solution for a long time, but they don't heal these things. Like I wake up the next morning and I'm still fucking anxious because I'm not getting to the root of that anxiety. You know, and I had, and I had a therapist at the second program that I went to that like, luckily another, another fucking God working in strange way moment. Like just so happened, like three kids AMA'd one day, two were moving on to another program. And I had to do groups with this one lady that like, I was like, completely scared of doing it with, you know what I'm saying? Over Zoom, you know, she usually, she has seven or eight people in the room and everyone gets about fucking 10 minutes. Well, I had three hours with this lady every day for like two weeks straight, you know? But it was fucking the blessing in disguise because she really made me dig deep, you know? She got into me, dude. She had me fucking in her grips and she just ripped me apart. And that's exactly what I needed in that moment because it started making me realize that, yeah, drugs and alcohol don't do shit for my real problems, you know? And I, and I, if I, you know, could utilize the things that I worked in the steps, such as turning my willpower over to God, prayer and meditation, you know, meditation for me, really, I don't sit there like a fucking Buddhist and meditate, you know, and like, think about the sounds going off in the room and things like that. I think about how I could get to the issues that are going on in my life. You know, it gives me time to, you know, concentrate on really what I need to focus on and, and, and get rid of some things, you know. Um, you know, that's another benefit of doing the steps is that we learn these things that, you know, are invaluable tools that people that don't have this program, you know, people that aren't drug addicts that don't have this program will never learn in their life, unfortunately. You know, I've always said that, like, if people work the 12 steps as a normal person, it really make the world a better place because the entire process is not just to get rid of drugs and alcohol in your life. It's to make you a better person and, and you know, a fucking sincerely better person for society. You know, that's, that's what I'm, I'm becoming over these last nine months due do, through doing this fucking, through doing the, the program, the way that it's laid out in the big book. Um, you know, I, I, I have a lot of work to do on myself still, still, you know, I went through some things, you know, a couple weeks ago where like, you know, I'm, I've, you know, I, I have my, like I said before, my father's, my father's a drug addict too. Um, and, uh, about a week or two ago, he overdosed. You know, my mother calls me on Saturday, on a Saturday morning, tells me my father overdosed, right? Now, like, you know, I, I tend to, I was, I was investing a lot of my energy into hoping that he was doing well, you know, and like November, I said, I helped, I helped him get into rehab in, in, uh, in Florida, you know, and I had been checking up on him for over the past couple of weeks and trying to see if this dude was doing the right thing and, you know, trying to help him get a sponsor and, you know, do the steps the way I was doing them and like putting my, my, you know what I mean? My wants and needs into his actions, you know, which is extremely fucking dangerous to do because when that fucking things comes crashing down, like I was damn near teetering on like the fact that, you know what I mean? I, I put a lot of fucking emotion into this thing and, you know, I wanted to lose my mind again, God working in strange ways. You know where I was when I was fucking getting that phone call, sitting on a fucking chairlift, right? Going on a ski trip right next to my fucking sponsor. The dudes that are at the house, you know, one's a fucking case manager, one's a program director, one's a therapist. You know, like I had a whole team of people around me and how, uh, that, that helped me fucking deal with this fucking issue that I was having, you know, and calmed me down and hit me with some things that fucking, you know, really brought me back to center. You know what I mean? And was even able to call my mother and like utilize some of those tools that I just learned like five minutes ago to help her out dealing with this fucking shit. 
you know, that's God working in strange ways right there. You know what I mean? That's doing things that I can't do for myself. Because really on the on the time that I got that phone call, I should have been at it working at the treatment center I'm working at with five fucking detoxers who are probably running around like maniacs, you know, having to do a med pass or a fucking round or something like that. And damn near fucking on the verge of a panic attack because I can't process this stuff in the moment, you know? God allowed me to be where I was in that moment so I could process that stuff and move on with my day so it didn't fucking ruin what I was doing. You know what I mean? That's fucking crazy shit right there. That shit that I didn't believe 10 years ago that could happen. You know, that's what happens when you work these steps. You end up in situations like that where you could handle things. Situations that used to baffle us. It's in the promises. We could handle that shit. You know, do this stuff. If you're new here, do this stuff. Really fucking work it. Work it like your fucking life depends on it. Because if you're a heroin addict, we're going to die from this thing if we don't do this thing correctly. Bottom line, I got 30-something friends that are dead. I should have been dead. A lot of us in this room should have been dead. You know, get yourself a sponsor. Do the steps. You know, find a spiritual solution. Be of service to others. And then go to meetings. You know, these meetings are very important. But without those four things in the front of it, we don't have the meeting to go to on a Saturday night. We don't have the meeting to go through 7.30 on a Wednesday. We're going to be fucking dead. You know, do this thing like your life depends on it. That's really all I got tonight. Thanks for letting me share.